Russell. What's up, church? How are you guys? You're looking good. Hey, so I have an update for us. So through your generous giving, we as a LifePoint Church are able to sponsor 53 Haitian orphans, which is awesome. So thank you so much for giving to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so these kids, we are able to give them clothes, and we're able to give them shelter, and we're able to give them food, and we're able to give them an education. And even more important than that is we're able to remind them about the love of Jesus. We have a team of 22 people right now on a short-term trip um, that are there loving um, our Haitian brothers and sisters. So let's be praying for a team that's down there. I just wanted to update you guys on what's going on around the world, um, not just here in Plano. Okay, so... We are in a topic, or in a series called Hot Topics. And what that is, is um, every week we're having a guest speaker come in to tackle a different hot topic. So um, our beloved lead pastor, George, he loves us so well and gives so much of himself throughout the year that whenever we get to July, we ship him out to Colorado so he can rest and recoup and get energy so he can come back and continue um, loving and leading us so faithfully. So uh, during July, uh, we're in the series called Hot Topics. Last week, we had June Hunt, awesome um, speaker coming in to talk to us. In future weeks, we have fantastic uh, guest speakers that are coming to talk to us. And today, well, Today, you get me. So, hey guys. Uh, <laughs> no, my name, uh, my name is Isaac, and I have the privilege of serving on staff here at LifePoint. And my primary responsibility is in communications. But as I'm sure like a lot of you in your jobs, what you end up doing is actually a lot longer than what you thought you would be doing whenever you signed up for the job. So along with communications, I end up kind of accumulated a few hats over the years here, um, here in our church family. So um, I facilitate a lot of meetings. Uh, one of my coworkers, she is convinced that I'm not able to think if I can't write on a whiteboard. And to her credit, she's exactly right. I can't think if I'm not writing on a whiteboard. Um, I also get to serve in, with our young adults. I serve in our young adult ministry. On Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, um, we meet in the student center for people in their 20s, uh, young 30s, late teens, um, people, our young adults get to hang out with them, um, which is awesome. But perhaps, perhaps my favorite role is whenever I get asked to be a summer camp counselor. See, every summer, LifePoint students, uh, they go to camp in Colorado. And uh, about a month ago, uh, we went, and our former student pastor, David, he asked me um, if I would be an adult leader to go on the trip with them. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I love camp. And as you guys know about Colorado, Colorado is famous for its mountains. So we weren't just going to camp. You know, one of the days, uh, David was going to take a group of students and some people to go on an all day hike. Now, this wasn't just any all-day hike. They were going to climb a mountain, a 13,400-foot mountain. And David asked me if I wanted to go along on the trip. So when he asked me, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go climb this mountain. I was pumped. But I knew that before I went, I needed the right equipment. More specifically, I needed the right shoes. I needed hiking shoes. So I go to REI, and I, an outdoor store, and I pick out these hiking shoes, right? And I thought, like, yeah, these are going to work. These, these work. I think these will work well for the mountain hike that we're going to do. So we get to, 
We get to camp, and I was really excited, and as soon as we got there, you know, I put on the shoes, and I'm walking around the campgrounds, and I'm breaking them in, you know, and getting comfortable in them, but I knew that their greatest purpose was not just being used functionally as shoes. I knew that the greatest purpose of these hiking shoes was to summit the top of a mountain. That's why they were created. That's what they were meant to do, is to climb a mountain. So the day before we were about to go on the hike, um, only, David found out that only 13 people got to go on the trip, and more than 13 people signed up to go. That meant that a few people were not able to go on the hiking trip. And guess who was one of the few people that did not get to go? But, but I bought the shoes. I had the shoes. I was ready to go. But I, did, I didn't get to go, and camp was awesome. We had such a good time. I come back. I'm unpacking, and there in my suitcase are the shoes. Clean, unused, never climbed a mountain, kind of sad looking. See, because like, you know, and I, I had this feeling of regret as I looked at these shoes. Why? Most people would not view clean shoes as a bad thing. People would not view clean shoes and have regrets. But I'm looking at these clean shoes and there, there's regret that's building up. Why? Because I knew that their greatest purpose was to climb a mountain. Their greatest unwasted purpose was be, to be on the top of the mountain. And when I looked at the shoes and saw how clean they were, it reminded me that I did not do that. See, at the end of our life, we're going to think one of two things. We're either going to think, man, I'm so glad I did. And we're going to say that statement with so much joy and so much fulfillment and so much purpose. Or we're going to get to the end of our life and we're going to think, man, I wish I had. And we're going to say that with regret. And the question that I want us to explore today is not about hiking shoes. It's about our life. It's this. How can we live a life of no regrets? Because my fear is that some of us in this room, when we get to the end of our life, we're going to look back and we're going to feel like we wasted it. We're going to feel like we wasted our life and we're, there's going to be regrets. So how can we live an unwasted life with no regrets? That's what we're gonna look at today. And in order to properly explore this question, uh, let, let's look at Romans chapter 10. So it's there in your bulletin. It'll be on the screens. You can pull out your Bible or on your phone app. So Romans chapter 10. So in Rome, uh, to, to set up some context, in Rome, there is a tension between the Jews and the Greeks, these two different people groups, the Jews and the Greeks. And the Jews, these are people that, that were kind of born into God's family. They were ethnically part of God's family, right? And then these other people, uh, the, the Greeks, or sometimes the Bible uses the word Gentile, these are people that were not born into God's family. So to contextualize this for today, um, the Jews think about it like people that grew up in church. They know how to say the prayers. They know all the songs. They know when to stand, when to sit, what to say. And then the, the Greeks or the Gentiles, these are people that did not grow up in church. They maybe don't say the right thing exactly, or maybe they don't wear the right thing. But the question is, is who actually has a relationship with God? Is it growing up in church that gives you a relationship with God? Right? And what about the people that did not grow up in church? Are they, are they able to have a relationship with God? What qualifies somebody to have an eternal relationship with God? And Paul answers this question when we get to Romans chapter 10, verse 8. He says this, 
But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what I want you to notice is that the gospel is the best news you can hear. See, we're hearing a lot about news today, right? And it's kind of weird because our news is talking about news, right? And then our news is talking about news that's talking about news and what's real and what's fake. I don't know. I don't know. But for our purpose today, I want us to really focus on good news. What is good news? What is the good news? And the word that the Bible that uses for good news, it's called gospel. And here is the gospel, is that we have a creator God who loves you. He created you, and he created you with value and dignity and worth. And not only that, he put his very image inside of you. So now you are a reflection. You are a mirror of God himself. And not only did God create you and he loves you, but he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And you know what we do as humans in response to God loving us and having a plan and purpose for our life? We sin. We miss the mark. We reject and rebel against a good and holy and perfect God. We, we willingly choose to separate ourselves from God. We are sinners by nature and by choice. But God, his love prevails. God's love prevails for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? He took the punishment that we deserve, right? Because sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus took the death. He took the punishment that we deserve. So all we have to do is trust and commit to Jesus, and we will get to spend eternity with him. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And believing that all of that is true, that's called faith. See, God's grace gives us faith. And what faith is, is God puts it at the center of our heart. The very core of what we believe is that is he gives us grace to believe that it's true, right? And the heart is a metaphor for the very center, the very core of what you believe. And at that core, because of God's grace, he gives you faith to believe that he's good and to believe that Jesus died for you and took the punishment that you deserve. So we get to verse 9. What is essential to have a relationship with God? What does it take? Verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, faith in action, it results in belief and confession. Faith in action results in belief and confession. So all it takes to be saved, to be saved from an eternity apart from your creator, Jesus, is to believe and to confess. See, to believe what that is, I mean, believe that he is Lord, right? And then we confess, we confess that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose again from the grave. So the belief, that happens in the heart. That happens on the inside. And then the manifestation from that is we confess with our mouth, right? And that's an outward expression of an inward change. 
See, confession is an outward expression of an inward change. Belief has to happen in the heart, right? You can't just confess somebody to believe. You can't just confess belief, right? Belief has to happen first. There has to be a heart change. And then the mouth, what we proclaim and say with our words, it's just a manifestation of the change, an expression of the change that happened on the inside. Change has to happen from the inside out. It doesn't work whenever you try to go from the outside in. It doesn't work if you just try to confess without there being actual heart belief change. It's like going up to a kid and saying, hey, buddy, do you want to burn in hell? Or do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy? I heard there's cotton candy. Like, that doesn't work. You can't just prompt a confession without there being actual heart belief change. But we try, we try to do that sometimes, right? So maybe somebody, you know, they said a prayer as a kid, or they walked on an aisle, or they signed a card, or they shook a hand, or they raised a hand in a service. So all of those are actions, but all of those don't mean anything if there wasn't actual heart change, if there wasn't belief in your heart, right? And confession isn't about escaping eternal punishment. It's, uh, confession is about having an eternal relationship with Jesus, right? Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your reward? See, some people, they use, um, they use con- uh, belief and confession as a, and uh, trust in Jesus as a way to get what they really want in life. Like, all right, God, like, I want to have, have a lot of money, and I want to have an awesome family, right? And I want a lot of good things to happen to me. So I'm going to believe in you, God, so you can give me the things that I really want. But that's not what this is about. The Christian faith is not about that. The Christian faith is that Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is the biggest and best thing that we could ever want. And whenever we let Jesus fully satisfy us, like we don't care if we have anything else, right? Because we get Jesus. We can believe and confess because we get Jesus and we get to have an eternal relationship with him. Man, and some of you in this room right now, you're a little uncertain about where you're going to spend eternity. A little uncertain if you actually have that heart change, right? If you've, and so maybe you've confessed before, but, but you don't really know if there has been heart change. But I want to encourage you, and I want to give you, I want you to be secure that, man, if you truly have heart change in your heart to believe in Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, I want to encourage you that you will have an eternity with Jesus. And that is awesome. So we get to verse 11, and it says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. So why would Paul say that? Why would Paul start talking about shame here? So who here is familiar with the justice system? So maybe like any paralegals in the room or any lawyers, or uh, have you seen at least one episode of Law and Order? Okay, cool. So, so we're familiar with the justice system. So the way that it works is it's based on this question. Should the morally guilty be punished? Should people who commit a moral crime be punished? Yes, absolutely. Like, if you're guilty, you should be punished. That's how our justice system works, right? And now it gets a little bit more personal. Have you ever committed a moral crime? Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen something? Yeah, you have. I have. So by definition, if the morally guilty should be punished, and if we just agreed with each other that we are morally guilty, then we should be punished, and we we deserve punishment. We deserve death. But here is the good news, is that Jesus took your punishment for you. 
He took your sin and your shame. So now there's no eternal damnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no eternal shame because of Jesus. So everybody, people that are ethnically Jewish, people that are not, Arabs, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, Indians, people that went to Plano East, people that went to Plano Senior, people that went to Centennial, people that went to Liberty. Yes, even those Plano West wolves. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is awesome. That is good news. And if you're like me, yeah, God is awesome. We can, we can give it up for God. So now, if you're like me, you like that idea. You like that idea that all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord because there was heart change and you get to spend eternity with God. That is awesome. If you're, you like that idea. But as you're looking around, not everybody does. Not everybody calls on the name of the Lord. Right? Or people do say the Lord's name, but it's, it's not for salvation. They use it as an exclamation point after they stub their toe. Or after somebody cuts them off in traffic, that's how they call in the name of the Lord, which is not for salvation. That's something different. But if the ultimate goal is that the entire world call on the name of Jesus for salvation, how does that happen? How do we go from being a hater of God to a lover of God? How do we go from being an adulterer and a murderer and a slanderer and being wicked and being arrogant and prideful and selfish to being somebody who's a worshiper of Jesus, who loves Jesus, who serves and loves Jesus and loves his people? How does that happen? Paul tells us how that happens in verse 14. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach without someone? Uh, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, it's a logical sequence. Paul crafts the step-by-step process for how someone can call on the name of the Lord for salvation. So if the ultimate goal is calling on the name of the Lord, there has to be heart change. There has to be belief in your heart. But in order for there to be belief in your heart, they have to hear. They have to hear the good news. And in order for them to hear, someone has to tell them. Someone has to preach to them. And in order for someone to preach to them, someone has to be sent. Someone has to be willing to be sent. And the word preaching there, it's not what I'm doing right now. This is not a shut up and listen for an hour. Like, it's not, that's not what the word preaching means. The word preaching there, it means to proclaim, to be a herald, to be a messenger of news, right? And then Paul says this really weird statement. He starts talking about feet, right? Kind of odd. Why would Paul start talking about feet? And in order to understand why Paul is talking about feet, you have to understand ancient wartime practice. In ancient wartime practice, what would happen is two armies would then, um, each one, with the two armies that would be in battle, they would each send a messenger to overlook the battle. And as the messenger was overlooking the battle, he had a really, really, really important job because his job was then to deliver the news of the outcome of the battle. So if the messenger of an army, if he knew that his army was going to lose, he would run into the city. He would run, 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 run. And you know what he would shout? He would shout, whoa, whoa. See, the word woe, that was a war cry of defeat. It was really bad to hear the word woe because then what you would end up doing is you would end up killing yourself, lest the opposing army come in and rape and pillage and brutally murder you. Woe was really, 
really bad news. But, but if, if the messenger, if he was overlooking the battle and he thought that his army was going to win, if he saw that his army was winning, he would run, 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 run into the city. And you know what he would shout? Gospel, gospel. See, the word gospel, it was a war cry of victory. He was saying the battle is won. We are saved. We have victory. And the, the way that the Bible uses the word gospel later is not so much as a war term, but it, it does also mean good news and that we have hope and hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is our king and Jesus is on the throne and he's coming back one day and he's gonna make everything right. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy evil. He's going to destroy all sickness and disease and darkness and make everything right. And that is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And that is the gospel. That is good news. So think about the feet of the messenger. Do you think this messenger was running on a paved track? No, <laughs> he was running on the mountainside. He was running on gravel and dirt and soil. His feet were dirty. They were broken. They were bruised. They were bloody. They were calloused. Oh, but they were so beautiful. Why were they beautiful? Because he was carrying good news. The feet of the messenger was beautiful because they were carrying good news. And here's the thing, is that our enemy, our enemy Satan, he wants you to have spa feet well-rested, pedicured, never used, and definitely not carrying good news for people to call on the name of the Lord. That's the last thing he wants. So he's going to keep you well-rested, massage your feet, kick your feet up. You don't have to do anything. It's fine, right? Because he doesn't want anybody calling on the name of the Lord. But this is what Jesus wants. And here's the main thing. You can tweet this, Instagram, write this down. If somebody asks you what the sermon was about, you tell them this. You tell them what I'm about to tell you. Jesus, he wants you to have bloody calloused, dirty, used feet, proclaiming his gospel to everyone so that they may believe in their hearts and call on the name of the Lord. And when that happens, we will feel so much peace and so much joy and so much fulfillment and so much purpose knowing that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, right? That is our biggest responsibility, right? So if we know that we get beautiful, used, purpose-filled feet, by caring and preaching good news, why don't we do it more often? So here are four reasons why we don't share the good news more often and what to do about it. Number one, uh, maybe you think, man, I don't know enough, or I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, what if somebody asks me a question I don't know? What if they're just smarter than me, and like they, they respond in a way that I don't know how to respond to, and they make fun of me and call me dumb because I believe in the magical sky fairy in the air? Like, what if that happens, right? Because you love Jesus, and you do want other people to know Jesus. You're just fearful because you don't want to feel dumb. So here's what you do. Trust God to give you words. Trust God to give you words. Because if you believe that God is sovereign over the entire universe, that he's fully in control over everything, then you also believe that he places you in the exact situations that he wants you in, right? And if he's, God is placing you somewhere, then he's giving you words to say. If the exact same spirit that rose Jesus up from the grave is the same spirit that's living within you, God is giving you power and courage and boldness and wisdom, and he's empowering you with words for the exact situation that he's put you in. Trust God to give you words. I have a friend who was, um, 
She was flying southwest. And here at LifePoint, like, we love southwest. And southwest is fun because it's the choose-your-own-adventure airline, right? As you, as you choose who you're going to sit next to, it's always kind of, a, kind of an adventure as you're trying to figure that out. So um, she willingly, she willingly chooses to sit in a middle seat. Who willingly chooses to sit in the middle? And typically she never does, but on this specific occasion, she did because there was a girl around her age that was also sitting there. So she was like, man, I'm just going to sit right here. You know, so the entire flight, they don't talk. And my friend, you know, she's tired, long trip. So she doesn't really like want to engage in conversation. But this other girl, she was reading her Bible, right? And God wanted this conversation to happen, so he made it happen. So this other girl, uh, she asks my friend for a pen, and that starts the conversation. It turns out that this other girl, she's not a believer. She doesn't believe in Jesus. Her parents had been praying for her for a very long time for her to trust in Jesus, but up until that point, she had been very resistant. But more recently, um, she... um, more recently, she, you know, she'd been more, accept, more accepting, kind of curious, kind of seeking. So God used my friend to be able to talk with her about the story of the Bible and share the gospel with her and walk her step by step through what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And literally, as the plane was landing, the girl prays to trust Christ. How awesome is that? So, and, and not only that, like my friend then goes to her baptism. And then this girl, uh, the aviation salvation girl, she gets married, right? And she gets married and they have a kid. And now this kid is being raised to love Jesus in a loving Christian family. That's how God works. He places us in the exact situation that he wants us in for the salvation of others. Number two, maybe you think this. Maybe you think, man, uh, the timing is never right. I don't, I don't want any awkward moments. See, now this one is tricky because there is wisdom in when you should um, tell people about Jesus and perhaps when it may not be the best time. If somebody is drunk at a bar, should you tell them about Jesus? They may not remember anything you said. It may not be the best time. Or perhaps you're getting a root canal and the dentist is there and your mouth is wide open. Right? And then you start trying to tell the doctor, a dentist, about Jesus. It may not be the best time. But for some of us, this fear of awkwardness, it paralyzes us. And we never tell anybody about Jesus. Like you would be amazed at how willing people are to engage in faith conversations. So perhaps you have this question. Perhaps you think, man, I have no idea how to go from a normal, everyday conversation to a spiritual one. How do I raise up the topic of faith naturally? And here's what you do. Ask good questions one-on-one. Ask good questions one-on-one. So author Rebecca Piper, she writes this. She writes, questions are effective because they can be used in a non-threatening way. They often elicit a question back in return. See, and most people are touched that we want to get to know them. So they are a brilliant way of opening up conversations so long as we're asking the right ones. So perhaps you're thinking, but wait, isn't this all a bit manipulative? Well, that depends on our motives. Remember, our questions won't be effective unless we genuinely care for people. We must not feign an interest in someone just so we can slip in the gospel. That kind of approach will always backfire. But equally, if we really love people, then we must be actively seeking to share the gospel with them. See, in the best way that you can ask good questions is to learn how to ask the question, why? See, why is a really, really good question. So like, let's say you're talking to a doctor and like, hey doc, that's awesome that you're a doctor. Why'd you get into medicine? 
you know? Oh, you, you want to help people. That's, that's, that's really cool. Why do you want to help people? See, just by asking it twice already, we're getting to his values. We're getting to what he believes. We're getting to what he thinks is true about this world. And we can use that as a way to share our faith and share the hope in Christ with him, right? So very practically, yes, um, you know, sometimes the work office is not the best environment for faith conversations, right? Or, or maybe um, you're at Little Madison's dance recital, and mom is there, and she's in the front row with her camera phone, and her little baby's about to do the high kick for the first time, and she's ready, and you tap her on the shoulder, trying to tell her about, like, that, that may not be the best time. But maybe you can invite mom um, if she w- just wants to have a play date at the park, where you can just sit there uninterrupted. Or maybe um, you can invite your coworkers out for lunch. Or maybe you can invite your gym buddy out for coffee. Or maybe you can invite your kid's teacher to come hang out with us, like with your church family. Like, I think we're pretty cool, right? So invite them to hang out with us. Invite them to your Bible study. Invite them to your life group. Invite them to a service. That's a really easy way to engage one-on-one. And you may be asking this. You may be asking, man, but what if somebody shuts down? What if somebody doesn't want to have a faith conversation? Like, do I keep talking to them? No. Don't force feed people truth that don't want truth, right? If someone is resistant to having a faith conversation, don't force the issue. Why? Because God is the one that works on their heart. And if God is not working on their heart and they're resistant to the things of God, it's not our job to force him to work on their heart. God is the one that is sovereign. God is the one that works on people's hearts. And our job is not to force the issue. Our job is to go find people who God is already working in, right? So, one-on-one is how it's done. One-on-one is how it's done. Yes, that rhymes. So one-on-one conversations where you're undistracted and have each other's full attention is the best way to have a good conversation where you can ask good questions and share your story of hope through Jesus. I have a buddy here at, here at LifePoint, and um, he really likes talking about faith and politics, and he thinks that they intertwine really well, which they do. Um, so, but his office culture is one that you don't really talk about faith and politics at work. So, um, but he, so he's sensitive, you know, he's respectful of his office culture, but he, feel, he still feels this need to engage in faith conversations. So you know what he did? He went out and he bought furniture for his apartment so he can furnish his apartment so he could host game night. So he can invite his coworkers over for game night. And there, outside of the office, he can engage in one-on-one conversations about faith. That is so practical. That is so cool. Like, I love that. I love his heart that he wants to engage his coworkers for, with Jesus. So maybe you're thinking this, and this is number three. Maybe you're thinking this. Man, I just feel like a hypocrite. Right? And for some of us, like, we feel unworthy to talk about Jesus because we know that we have not been doing what Jesus has told us to do, and we're doing the very specific things that he's telling us not to do. Right? So we feel hypocritical. But here's the thing about people. We're all hypocrites, right? We're all hypocrites. Christians just admit it. Like, we know we're hypocritical. We know what we should do, and then we don't do it. But that's everybody. That's everybody. Everybody has, regardless of what your worldview is, everyone has their standard of how they think they should live. And then nobody even meets their own standard. So everybody is hypocritical. Christians just admit it. So uh, if you understand mercy, which is not getting the punishment that you deserve, and you understand grace, which is getting the free gift of eternal life that you don't deserve. 
then you understand the story of the gospel and the Bible and how God works. So use that. If you feel hypocritical, tell people your story. That's the blank in your outline. Tell people your story. Tell people how you are a terrible person, but God loves you anyway. And even when you run far away from him, God runs even further and harder after you and chases you and rescues you and picks you up from your sin and brings you over to him because God is that good. Tell people about grace and mercy. And it's not, yes, like you're not perfect. It's not about being perfect. It's about God's love. It's about turning away from sin, repenting and running towards God. Tell people your, tell people your story about, how, about God's goodness in your life. Number four, maybe this is you. Man, I just, I just don't care that much. I don't care that much. See, like some of you, I've been talking about the gospel for a while, about how God wants worshipers of him, about how God uses us to reconcile the entire world back to him, and you're sitting there, and if you were honest with yourself, you would say, man, Isaac, I just, I just don't care that much, right? And it comes out in two ways. So like one way, the first way, is like you're okay with the idea of evangelism. You just don't think it's your responsibility, you think it's somebody else's responsibility. Like, hey, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Guess I'm off the hook, right? So there was a pastor out in California. And um, so whenever he first became a believer, he, he was really zealous and like really eager to share his faith with everyone because he, he re- recognized that he was dead and now he's alive, right? So he wanted to offer that same eternal hope that he had to everyone that he knew. So he was so eager and zealous to go do that. And then ironically, the further and further that he got into church world, the less and less he did it, right? So he goes to a Christian college, and then he goes to seminary, and then he works on a church staff, and then he becomes a pastor, and now he's a pastor, and he's not sharing his faith with others like he used to, and he feels guilty about it, right? And he feels conviction about it. So trying to find counsel, he goes to an older pastor and asks this older pastor if he too has the same struggle, if he has this guilt of not sharing his faith more often. And you know what the older pastor said? He said, I don't feel guilty. It's not my job. It's their job. It's not my job as a pastor to share my faith. And the younger pastor then thought, yeah, I like that idea. That's a lot easier because doing like what I'm doing right now, this is easy. This is really easy because most of the room, most of you guys agree with me. So as I share the gospel and as I talk about the eternal hope that we have with Jesus and that Jesus is the only way to heaven to the Father, that the truth, the way, and the life, like most of you guys are like nodding along, like, yeah, that's good. And then, you know, we'll finish here, pat on the back, good job, you know, good job, pastor, see you next week. Like this is easy. It's a lot more difficult when you go out of our church walls into a hostile environment where people will reject you because of what you believe and call you stupid for what you believe and call you ignorant for not being more sophisticated and how science now has proven that God doesn't exist, right? So this is easy. It's a lot more difficult to go out. But here's, here's the problem. This thinking is destroying the church, See, if pastors are saying, it's not my job to share my faith, and then church people are saying, oh, it's not my job, that's your job, pastor. Like, that, that thinking is destroying the church because then nobody is sharing their faith. Like, hey, Pastor George, can you, can you come to my work office so you can share my faith, so you can share your faith to my coworker? Or I have, uh, have extended family coming in town staying with me this weekend. Uh, can you come and uh, share the gospel with my family? 
right? Like, but here's the thing, like it's destroying the church and the kingdom of darkness is winning because nobody is sharing the gospel. If church leaders and church members, if none of us are sharing the gospel, then nobody is sharing the gospel, right? And the gospel is not going forth. Nobody has beautiful feet. Nobody is carrying the good news forth, but we must. How about this? How about this? How about you, the church members, like how about, how about we share our faith? And how about us church leaders, we share our faith. So now we have everybody sharing our faith and everybody carrying the good news forward for the kingdom of God. Because if you don't, if you don't, it proves that you don't really love people. See, being a Christian means you love Jesus. And that also means that you love people and love others and love your brother. So if you're not sharing Jesus with others, it proves that you don't really love people because everybody lives forever somewhere. Everybody lives forever somewhere. The difference is the address. Are they going to spend eternity with God, their creator, or are they going to spend eternity apart from God in hell, right? And the most loving thing that we can do for someone is help change their eternal address, right? It is unloving just to feed someone food, not tell them about Jesus, and they go to hell on a full stomach. That is unloving. The great commandment, as I said earlier, is to love God. And 1 John 4 says that our love for God is completed as we love our brother as we love people. So let's love people, all of us. Let's all love people and share the good news of Jesus. All right, think of of Billy Graham. Somebody shared the gospel with him. Is he grateful that that person shared the gospel with him? Yeah. Now think of the, the thousands of people that Billy Graham was able to impact because now he had eternal hope through Jesus. Do you think those thousands of people are grateful for Billy Graham who is grateful for the person that shared with him? Yes, think about you. Think about your life. Are you grateful for the person who helped rescue you from death? Yes, absolutely. Because that person was so loving to you to tell you the truth in love. Let's tell people truth in love and share the gospel with people. Now, the second reason you may not care that much, it's possible, it's possible you're not a believer. See, one of the truest indications, one of the truest marks that you have a heart transformed by Jesus is you want other people also to love Jesus. You want other people to have the same hope that you do. So if you don't, if you don't care that much, you know, if you, um, it's possible, some people think that, man, my, my faith is personal. Like, it's just kind of me and God thing. I don't really want to share it with other people. You know, they can believe what they want to believe. That's fine. I'm just going to believe what I believe. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just coexist. And we're all, we're all good here. We don't need to shove our beliefs down people's throats. Right? That, that is not loving because you're willingly allowing them just to walk away from God. That is not loving. And one of the truest indications is that you want other people to love Jesus. So Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're not a believer, today's a great day to do that. So here's your blank. Ask God to transform your heart. Ask God to transform your heart. He's calling you. He's wooing you. And belief has to start in your heart. If you just start with confession without actual heart change, it's it's just words. Belief has to start in your heart. So now if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you want to confess with your mouth that he is Lord, like you 
will be saved. That's such good news. And if you want to talk more about that, um, I'll be there in the back after the service in the connection room. We have a team of people that would be there in the back um, after the service that would love to talk with you more about that. And my question for all of us is this. If a doctor didn't bring up a cancer diagnosis to a patient because he thought it might be awkward, how does that make you feel? Right? What, if, what if there's this illness and the doctor's fearful because, man, what if I don't know that the answer to their question if they ask me about this disease and I don't know it, so I'm just not going to tell them. Right? Or let's say this doctor, previously he misdiagnosed another patient, so now he feels like a bad doctor, so he just doesn't want to go through that again, so he's just not going to say anything. Right? Or let's say he just doesn't care. He doesn't care that the patient is dying, so he doesn't want to say anything. Right? How would that make us feel? Like, is that okay? No, we need to diagnose the illness. And here's one step further, is that the gospel is now pointing out the illness. It's about pointing to the medicine. It's about pointing to the eternal cure that is Jesus. Like, how is that awkward? How is telling somebody a cure to their disease awkward? It's not. So here's what I want us to do right now. This is the number one thing on your to-do list right now. Who does God have in your life who needs to hear about Jesus? Who's the one person who needs to hear the eternal hope they can have in Jesus? Like who's that person that's coming to your mind? And this week, you love them enough to tell them. You love them enough to help change their eternal address so they can have a relationship with Jesus and offer them hope and offer them Jesus. Like that is good news. And by God's grace, he will use you to help reach them. And I'm gonna help you do that. Everybody, uh, look at your shoes. <laughs> what color are they? What size are they? What's the material? Are there laces? Are there heels? What brand are they? Where did you buy them? Okay, now remember when you put them on this morning. Where were you? What room? What seat? Now imagine when you take them off tonight. Where would you be? Are you just going to leave them there on the floor? Are you going to put them in the closet? Now think about your feet. How can you have beautiful feet? Every time you put your shoes on this week and take your shoes off this week, you tell, you think about that person that God put on your heart and you pray for God to transform their heart, right? And you ask God if he can use you to help reach them. You ask God for an opportunity to offer them hope through Jesus, right? That's what we can do this week together. And you may be saying, like, joke's on you, Isaac, I don't wear shoes. Ha, 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 ha. No, <laughs> Look, let's tell people about Jesus. That's the point. Let's tell people about Jesus. God put one somebody on our mind to tell people about Jesus. Let's go tell them. LifePoint family, we are a hospital. We exist for the hurting, for the broken, for the hopeless, right? That's why we exist. Our church is a hospital. That's why we exist as a church, right? But further than that, we're a training hospital. We're training doctors to diagnose the disease of sin and condemnation, and we offer the eternal hope of, through Jesus. We, that's what we offer. We're a training hospital, and when people come in that are hurting and broken, we offer them Jesus, right? But some people, they view church as a beauty pageant, they view church as a place where you have to dress up, put on your best clothes, fix yourself up, fix your hair, right? Do the right talent, say the right thing, teaching kids to read in world peace, right? So in the church equivalent, the church equivalent of that, of saying the right thing is, um, hey, how's everything going? It's good, brother. Everything's fine. It's good. Can't complain. Life is awesome. Right? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Really can't complain. 
Like, are you, yep, 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 things great, everything's good, it's fine, it's fine, right? So that's what we do, and we just pretend that everything is okay, and whenever we do that, we put up a front that this is not a place for the broken, that this, this is not a place for the hurting, that this is not a place where people can come find healing, right? That's not good. So imagine... Uh, imagine if, if we were known for carrying good news where the hurting and the broken and the hopeless could come in and find healing. Jesus himself said this. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Imagine if people who are weary and had burden, if they were able to come and spend time with us, LifePoint family, and find rest, find rest in Jesus. Imagine what we can do right? And what difference would that make in our church? What difference would that make in our community? What difference would that make in the homes of the people around us? Imagine if a home has an abuser, this man who just abuses his family. Imagine if God transformed his heart. What difference would that make? What difference would that make in that home? Or if there was a husband and a wife who are looking at each other and pointing fingers and telling each other that you are the enemy, you are the problem. Imagine if husband and wife called on the name of the Lord. What difference would that make in that family? Or if there's a rebellious teenager who is suffering severe anxiety and fear and depression and this teenager is able to have hope in Jesus and have peace that surpasses all understanding. What difference would that make in that teenager? What difference would that make in the home? Right? So there are, there are hundreds of us in this room right now. There's hundreds of us. Imagine if God used every single one of us to impact one person. That's hundreds of homes in our community being radically changed. Our community would be radically changed. Lives would be transformed. Lives would be saved. And we get to be a part of God's mission to be a minister of reconciliation, reconciling God's creation back to him. If we individually do this, collectively, we will change the world. Let us have bloody, calloused, beautiful feet carrying the good news of Jesus Christ, and we will end our lives with no regrets and being so glad we did, right? Being used by God to have so much peace and so much fulfillment and so